Hello, welcome to Culture Fear. 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 That song does my head in, but let's put that to one side, shall we? Hey, Culture Fear, it's been a while. I hope you're well. If this is your first um, Culture Fear episode that you listen to, I am Sean, I am the host. Um, If not, thank you for coming back. It has been a minute and a few more minutes on top of that. Um, I hope you're keeping well in this strange, strange, strange years. Uh, We're back down in lockdown in the UK. Seems like a very different lockdown to the lockdown that we had. Um, This conversation I had with Sean Morris... um, took place uh, during the first lockdown months and months ago um, I have been very slack when it comes to Culture Fear podcasts I've got to be honest with you but I'm really 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 glad to get this to you and I will talk to you in a second about Sean Morris what I should be talking to you about actually is for this month December 2020 no November 2020 sorry uh, this month I have some t-shirts hoodies with some merchandise getting made with some cool designs Um, there's a House Martins uh, design there is a Rat Cage exclusive new uh, design and a No Borders New Balance ripoff design um, that I've put together to raise money for Sheffield's Anti-Raise Network, which is a group of organisations and individuals that are like doing work to basically try and offer solidarity and help and information and education on how to resist raids, which I think is like incredibly, incredibly important. Of course, I'm sure that you're aware of how like the people at risk of raids are definitely some of the most vulnerable people in our society. If you want to check that out, that is at intensivepurposes.bigcartel.com. That's intensive purposes, not intense and purposes. Um, I've also set up a um, a blah, 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 Instagram page uh, at, is at intensivepurposes0114 if you want to see the designs. And that is also linked with the shows that I was putting, in, um, putting on last year and this year in Sheffield. Um, but yeah... Um, Sean Morris, this is who you're here to listen to. It was so, so great to, to chat to Sean. Um, I hadn't seen Sean for a few years. I haven't seen him probably for about four years at this point. Um, and it was just super nice to listen to speak to him and it just sound crystal clear and it was great. Um, since last speaking, Synergy Corp have put a song online. That's his band that we're going to talk about. Um, you'll hear that at the end of this. Um, and yeah, just check out what they're doing, really. Check out what he's up to. Um, enjoy this conversation. There was a little bit taken out. Hopefully you'll find that as an Easter egg somewhere one day. But um, yeah, take care of yourselves. Take care of your loved ones. And I'll catch you soon. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm I'm really good. Uh, yeah, like we were talking about, I'm doing as well as can be expected. Um, but I'm generally feeling really good, and I'm very psyched to be talking to you. And thank you for having me on your show. I'm so excited. Like, um, you're just like um, 
always just like remind like when I think of you I'm just like just think of like pure fun and like positivity like um through all the times that we've like hung out and I just like totally associate all of their memories with just like like I said like having fun and like I think that like you're probably like the best person when I think of like my like mid to late teenage years where I was just like totally enthralled with the like <laughs> idea of like positivity uh-huh uh, not that I'm not now uh-huh. but like you know like when you I guess like that was part of like now I look back my identity and I'm like Sean Morris like encapsulates that in like the perfect way for me oh my god that is a, a beautifully flattering compliment thank you very much that is that is really good no I mean I I for that to be the one thing that somebody associates with you is uh, really amazing. I'm, I'm really happy to hear that. And I mean, it's likewise. Yeah. It's, um, it's funny. You said like, Oh, I'm, I'm back when I used to, you know, center my life around the idea of positivity. And then you said, well, I still am like that. That's totally how I am too. I, I think I used to like verbalize it more and just talk about being positive, but, uh, yeah, I definitely, I definitely still like to think that um, I, positivity sort of drives uh, drives my being, which is it's such a vague thing to say, but um, but it's true. And and thank you for that. That really means a lot that you feel that way. <laughs> yeah. Well. well um, yeah. And, and I do think like I think about it sometimes when I think about my thoughts and actions when I'm like taking myself away from that. Like I'll even like talk to like Kate, my partner and be like, I am like a positive person. Like I'm, I'm an optimist and like, um, I guess I haven't thought about it enough to be like, everyone's either an optimist or a pessimist, but I'm like, even like when I'm being cynical, I'm like, I don't know. I'm thinking of like, I feel like I'm coming from like the, my cynicism is like being upset that like, maybe it's like, I wish it was more positive. I don't know. So maybe it's a hard one to to talk, but yeah. No, no, I totally hear you. I actually, that's kind of how I find myself uh, sort of practicing this too, is just when I, when I find myself being cynical, I think that's like a, a good way to put it is when I, um, I sort of, uh, I sort of just try to check myself and, you know, in the social media age, uh, very, <laughs> very easy to be cynical. And, um, but I'll tell you what, having a kid, it's, uh, it, it makes you, um, it it sort of puts this whole like idea of positivity into practice and and trying not to be cynical. You, in fact, it's hard to be cynical when you have a kid. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, um, I again, <laughs> thank you for saying that. I'm still just yeah feeling that that love. So thank you. Yeah, and that's a hopefully like that's because you have like an environment that your like child is like growing up in, where like when things you know like. I feel like babies are like the most or like young young people are like the most robust you know you fall down and like you either get straight back up or like you're like fine a few minutes later until the other thing you're like constantly working out what you want getting it and then like feeling good yeah yeah definitely (laughs) I mean um I guess that's what it is it's just like trying to um yeah, it's just trying to to raise a, a kid who um you know is is excited and is um 
is enthusiastic, I guess, is like how I'm thinking about it right now. And just like realizing that, um, you know, there's, there's beauty in everything. Uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Um, so I guess, um, so you grew up in like Westchester, right? Yeah, technically I grew up in Malvern and, um, I, I have to assume that most people listening to this do not have a, I don't know, maybe they do have a concept of where Westchester is. We have a, a couple um, celebrities that come out of our town. So, yes, I grew up in Malvern, uh, which is a little turd of a town just next to <laughs> Westchester. And um, Westchester itself is about uh, 45 minutes west of, of Philadelphia. Um, so, yes, I grew up in Malvern, but um, Westchester was like the town next to us. And it was, for us, the big city, even though it, is by no stretch of the imagination a big city. Uh, it was only, you know, it was 10 minutes away and it had a downtown and it was a cool college town. Uh, so I spent all of my time uh, going to Westchester because it was the closest thing we had to like culture, basically. Yeah, I think that's the interesting thing with Westchester is like, you know, it is kind of like just one street, but. Like or maybe like yeah, I just think like when I think about Westchester, I'm like realistically, it's like yeah, just one street with streets coming off of it, like, and there's like obviously like hundreds of thousands just like it in America, mm-hmm. or, uh, but it does have this like cultural pull that it like sh- maybe shouldn't have, like when on paper like it shouldn't have, but I feel like it was maybe one of a town that like there's a reason why you were going to Westchester because it had certain things that you as a young person was like super psyched on. Yeah. That's totally like the best way to put it is that on paper, it should not be a town that any, like the fact that we're even spending time talking about it, it just should not because uh, like you said, there's a million towns like it, but for a long time going back at this point, um, decades, it's just had this like really resilient, um, kind of well it's a college town first of all it is a college town so it's always had um sort of the offbeat um subcultural thing going for it that a lot of college towns across america have but um yeah certainly like growing up uh in the uh, late 90s and early 2000s it had um it's just always had its own little subculture which it shouldn't have, um, but uh, but it's one of the things that kind of makes it magical. Is that sort of despite it, in spite itself, um, it uh, it always has this this thing going on. And um, yeah, it, it at the time when I was growing up, it was a it was a freaky little place. Um, it's polished up a lot now, um, but certainly in the early two thousands. It was uh it was a place where you could reliably go and um and and see some some freaky people, which when you're a kid, uh is when you're a kid who yourself feels freaky and maybe a little out of step, it um is huge to just have that so close. Yeah, yeah. And do you think that like yeah, how was it growing up like out of step? When did you like understand like, oh, okay, like I'm gravitating towards things that like not all my peers are all so gravitating towards? Uh yeah. Um day one, pretty much. Like always. <laughs> yeah. I don't uh ever remember 
uh, not feeling like a freak. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking even like, yeah, back to kindergarten, first grade, just doing like weird things and and acting in a way that sort of um, put me on the outside a little bit. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it sort of came into itself, I guess, in, in middle school, like everybody else, when I really like kind of leaned into that <laughs> identity and, and really got uh, psyched on the idea of, um, of just being different, I guess. So I've, I've always felt that way. I'm sure a lot of people, you know, who are adults doing, um, you know, adults involved in subculture, I'm sure most people would say that they've felt that way for a long time and and i'm no different for sure yeah yeah and um i guess like so i feel like um like what was you what was you like at school i mean i could project what i think you was like what, <laughs> what do you look back like um that you that what you were like yeah it's like um just an absolute terror i think in a lot of ways <laughs> like not fun to be around total bummer in some way like i was uh you know, I think I was always like a, a nice kid and a, and a sweet kid um, when I when I had to be. But um, no, I I always had uh, issues um, in school uh, and academically, behaviorally, and um, and yeah. So I would certainly describe myself as a uh, as as a little shit. A terror. <laughs> uh, I always um, think of like Dennis the Menace when I think totally, of what you must have been like. Totally Dennis the Menace. And it's, uh, yeah, my wife all the time is always just like, I feel so bad for your teachers. Because I guess it still comes out and she's like, I, yeah, she, <laughs> she sees it, I think. But um, yeah, I just, I had so much energy. I had so much energy, obviously. And I think that is probably still apparent and it was just always the case. And, uh, and I hated school. Um, I, uh, I did not see the value in, um, in participating at all. So I, uh, kind of filled that, that void with, um, whatever I could, which a lot of times was, um, really, really naughty stuff. (laughs) <laughs> and uh <laughs> and yeah so it just i was just always a, a weird freaky little kid um and uh it it wasn't fun in a lot of ways and uh eventually it got to be fun but for a long time in elementary school uh it just was was not a good time um all sorts of all sorts of just back and forth with, um, you know, principals and teachers just trying to figure out a way to, to get me, get me into line and, uh, nothing ever worked. And, uh, yeah, it was, <laughs> it was a time. Yeah. So when you, you said like, it got, it got more fun unless like, just like, what like sounds like some kind of like us against them or you against them situation like do you think that that was because you got older and you started to understand the spaces where you could be more like yourself and then like 
in their space or what they deem to be their spaces, just like kind of like toe the line? Or do you think it was like how, or was it just getting older that you're like, oh, I kind of understand this a bit more? Yeah, well, I never even tried to toe the line, even like in in high school. I, at a certain point, like honestly, in middle school, I just I I gave up, and um, probably like seventh or eighth grade, I had struggled at that point since yeah, since kindergarten. Like it just it, uh, school was was such a challenge, and academics were such a challenge that uh, by the end of middle school, I just I stopped trying, and I I sort of made like a commitment to myself that like i just am not going to give a shit anymore and uh, that's <laughs> that's when it became fun honestly uh, i mean it continued to be hard in a lot of ways because obviously that is not that's not really setting yourself up for any kind of success in school or any kind of pleasant experience but uh but i think that was at least um allowing me to just uh to to stop at least like stressing about it so much um yeah and that's kind of what where it changed is when uh when i was just like you know what like i'm i'm in this situation i don't want to be in um and i sort of just treated it like like a a, a sentence like a like i was doing time <laughs> and i was just like i'll be done eventually <laughs> and uh, i just made the most out of like what i was doing outside of school basically but uh but no i i never I just never tried to even like make it work after middle school because um it was it was apparent to me that um it it was just going to cause more more stress than it would just to say I don't care uh I'm going to put all of my energy and time into um into something and eventually very quickly that something became subculture and and music and bands um so yeah that's when it became fun was when i was able to like decide for myself that i'm not going to put my resource my energy uh into this thing that uh i do not connect with i'm just not i'm not going to try so instead i'm going to um i'm going to focus completely on uh this other thing which was punk basically yeah yeah because uh, like when you're saying that i'm thinking like it's not because well f- from like it's not because you are like adverse to learning right because i when, love learning yeah I, and like that's always been like clear like from me like looking at you and like also like me like picking your brain and like learning from the stuff <laughs> that you're talking about so like you know it's not like it was this like ignorance of like anything it was just what you was it do you think it's like a defiance like what you're teaching I don't want to learn or do you think it's like I actually just want to learn the stuff that I'm interested in and the way I see the world yeah I think a little bit of both probably more the the you know I want to just learn what I want to learn and I just wasn't really connecting I mean yeah it was a lot of things it was um it it was me I think if I, you know, I haven't, I guess, given it as much thought as I should have. Why, why did I like want to push back? And I think it's maybe it's just a streak in me, um, you know, <laughs> so a natural rebellious streak in me that uh, when I when I get put into uh, when when somebody tells me I have to do something, even if it's in my best interest, I 
I push against it, but no, I just, honestly, I just wanted, like, I, I couldn't articulate it more than like, I just wanted to fucking play music and that's all. And I just wanted to be in a band and it, it's not like, yeah, I love learning. And the thing that made it frustrating is that through the whole process, through like middle school, through high school, I think what made it frustrating, I know what made it frustrating for my teachers now that I work in education and I understand how this, how this situation can play out. What's frustrating is when you see somebody who is naturally really excited about learning, um, but is totally like not bringing that enthusiasm to a, a classroom. Like I've been on the other side of that now and I totally understand how frustrating that is. Um, so it was never an issue of like not wanting to learn. I've always loved learning. It was just, um, yeah, I think it's just that I wasn't connecting with what, uh, with what was being put in front of me. And also like, like you said, like we've kind of already mentioned a couple times, I'm super high energy. I just, I could not sit. Yeah. I couldn't sit. <laughs> and yeah. if it, that's all, that's all it really is. It's like, I just couldn't sit. And as soon as, like once I started kind of taking like art courses, like towards the end of high school where you can kind of make it more of your own thing. And I got into art and started taking that more seriously. Like it became fun. It's just like, it became clear to me that it's like, I, I wasn't the problem. The problem was the fact that like, there was this one way that th there was this one option that I was being given um, to work with, you know, as far as like learning goes, which is like sitting in a chair and listening. Um, listening to somebody talk at me and uh and it didn't work and it you know it's still the case with a lot of public schools here that um yeah. that there's very little accommodation and flexibility for different learning styles it's still i see it all the time um still and when i go into public schools which i do fairly often i uh i still just kind of have you know war flashbacks of having to um having to just sit in a room uh for hours on end and and not feel like i'm um and just feel completely out of place yeah yeah um yeah i totally understand where that and totally to like i can <laughs> definitely be like yeah yeah i mean things sure that it, i see and things that i remember from my own experiences as well i i have to imagine it carries across cultures and oh yeah and is the case in any most public school systems maybe not any there's some uh that that are actually really good in this way but yeah it's it's just all too often the case that uh there's this universal um there's this universal approach uh, to learning in a lot of public schools. And if it suits you, then great. And if it doesn't, then, you know, it's kind of like tough shit. And that's, uh, that's a problem. And it's kind of what, uh, what caused so many, um, issues for me growing up. Yeah. And then you said like that, like finding the subculture of punk is really what, like you would, like your like light bulb moment. Um, what, like, what was it? How was it? Who was it? Oh yeah, totally. I, the, I'm, the reason I'm really excited that you asked that is because I was just talking to the person who I, I went to my first show with, who I kind of have fallen out of touch with, but, um, but so this is sort of, uh, this is really fresh in my head and yeah. So, um, 
it was in uh, sixth grade. So I was so young. It's crazy to think back how young I was when I started going to shows. Um, but I was uh, like 12 or 13, sixth grade. Uh, I went with my friend Lauren Adams and we went to see a um, a hardcore band from our high school uh, called Chasm. That's K-A-Z-M. Very metal, very dark. And we went to see them in a, in a town called Wayne, not too far away at the Wayne Presbyterian Church. Um, I had never been to any show. So like I haven't been to like any, you know, pro level club show or a, nothing. I, I had only just um, started getting a concept of like what a show was. And uh, and it was a hardcore show. So it was um, it was uh, jarring, to say the least. And um I little 12 year old me was like in this sort of recessed window bay type thing on the side of the room. And, uh, I I can just totally picture it. I'm like living in it right now. Just talking about it. Uh, we got there just before chasm started and everybody was just kind of mingling. I felt very scared. There were freaks everywhere. I mean, it's, it was simultaneously the, most excited and the most absolutely shit scared I've ever felt in my life. And it was, I'll never feel that again. Uh, it's that singular moment. And so we're just sitting in the window bay. I'm like trying to like, trying to like play it cool. Like I'm not super freaked out by the like people with, you know, safety pins in their ears. And, and, uh, this was, uh, mall goth in the United States is really popular at this time. So like mall goth fashion was really big. So a lot of people wearing like the see-through shirts where you can see people's nipples through the mesh, um, which uh, I think threw me for a little bit of a loop just seeing that. We're standing in the window bay and uh, Chasm sets up and they have this song. <clears throat> I can't remember what it's called, but it starts with uh, this like, just screamed vocal part that's like save her every day that you live and as soon as they say live that's when everything that's when all the drums and everything kick in and i honestly i honestly thought i was going to die in that moment because the place <laughs> just you you know it's a hard it was a hardcore show and it's that thing where everybody was there to see that band and just nuts. And honestly, my heart is like, I can, I'm thinking about it right now and I can feel my heart just beating, just thinking about like that <laughs> feeling. I was so freaked out and I had never seen like, I'd certainly never seen like hardcore dancing or like hardcore moshing. And, uh, and so for the, for the uninitiated, that literally looks like people just attacking each other. <laughs> kind of indiscriminately <laughs> and I was like <laughs> I was like okay so I guess eventually they're going to turn on me and I'm just going to get the shit kicked out of me uh fortunately that didn't happen but it was again like this absolutely unique fusion of fear and and joy and it was like completely sublime in that moment and uh it yeah from there it's like I know everybody listening has their own moment where they just knew in that second that you found you found it. And that was the moment. And, you know, I didn't stick with hardcore and like that. I didn't really even care for the music that much. It was way too heavy for my taste at that time. Uh, Very metally, I should say. Um, Yeah. But 
I, I just knew that like the the concept, the idea of just being at a show was amazing. Um, and yeah, it was a total just like coming home moment, you know, coming home feeling where for the first time you're seeing a room full of people uh, who you know right away are experiencing the same thing that you're experiencing and um, how, what's better than that? You know, like that's, that's as good as it gets when you feel that, that kind of um, connection to a community. So yeah, I totally remember it. My heart is like, it's still going <laughs> about that moment. It was, uh, it was, it was awesome. So from that on that point on, that was it. Um, I was hooked. Amazing. Amazing. And then how long was it before you were playing music or was you playing music at this time as well? Yeah. Like we were already kind of getting into it. I started playing shows probably that year, like a couple of weeks, months after that. I, I'm telling you, I was so, I just psyched and so, um, ready to just get into it that we did. Um, yeah. So I had started playing in a band probably right around that time, maybe a couple months before I, I went to that first show At playing a band as much as like a 12 year old can like play in a band. But, uh, but we were, trying and um what instrument was you playing bass at the time and uh yeah you know i i was digging up photos this week and it's sort of especially i think now that i'm a dad and i have a young kid it's really coming into focus how young i was yeah yeah when this was happening you know what i mean at the time like i I was old you know i was like a grown-ass man but (laughs) Yeah. I'm I always at, think that with young people I'm like I remember being that age and thinking like yeah I, I have to be like of course you're just like living your life and you're like totally just your own person but when you're older you look and you're like oh, but you're so young but oh my god I mean, you are and you like both people are totally well not totally right both people are right in their own <laughs> yeah. way huh? it, absolutely yeah it, it's totally true it's both both perspectives are valid and true Um, but when I look at photos now, I'm, um, I'm just floored (laughs) by how young I was. And it's, I'm honestly really proud and impressed with (laughs) my young self that we were playing music. I had a band when I was 12 years old, which I never realized like how cool that was until just like a week ago when I'm looking at these photos and I'm like, Des is going to be my son, Des, my child, Des is going to be that age in like 10 years, which is nothing. (laughs) <laughs> I just, I don't know. I think that's pretty cool. So yeah, we were playing, um, I was playing bass, uh, in this very like, um, embryonic band that it, it barely was a band. It was just, uh, me playing bass. My friend Cody played saxophone. We knew we wanted to play ska music. He played saxophone. So we had bass and saxophone and a guitarist. And that was like the beginnings of a band that would actually go on to last six years, which is crazy i think for a first band that started as like this mishmash three-piece you know of 12 of 12 year olds i think that's pretty cool very cool and would um so with scar was it like did you find it early and was it straight away like that eureka moment of like yeah this is the one absolutely absolutely i i I have an older brother. Um, and I'm one of the lucky ones who like had punk and subculture sort of like handed to them. Uh, I have a, a much older brother who's like 10 years older than me. And uh, 
So you have to understand that this was in the late 90s in the United States when ska was, you couldn't get away from it um, for yeah. a long time. I don't know. See, I don't want to like lecture, but like, I don't, I, I wonder if people, younger people have a, a, a sense of how big ska was in the United States at that time. It was everywhere. It was as popular as like, I don't know, like it was like dubstep <laughs> was, you know, but <laughs> it was at that level where it was just like, it was ubiquitous um, and you couldn't get away from it. So my point being that, yes, I, I, uh, you know, mighty, mighty boss tones. I saw the video, real big fish. I saw the videos when they were being played in rotation. And as soon as I saw it, I loved it. It would just, um, it was so, different and even though it's like easy i think to make fun of ska and how mainstream it was for a long time and popular it was pretty different and i think like when you don't have any other perspective it's just it was this super weird thing like it was just weird and um and i was attracted to it right away and uh i always say like ska is a really good starting point for any for like subculture because basically it's yeah it's a convalescence of like so many different subcultures that like it it takes you in all these different directions like once you start getting into it it's like oh, okay here's third wave ska now um you know you work backwards a little bit now we're in like two-tone ska and, and the british stuff that was happening and that takes you to like you know oi or um or just yeah 80s yeah. punk and it, it just takes you in all these different directions and of course you can go like back to jamaican ska and jamaican music and uh i i went on a little tangent there but yeah i knew as soon as i heard ska i think the song sellout is really what did it for me like it did for a lot of people i um i loved it then and i love it now and i i uh <laughs> i will be the lone defender of ska for as long as i mean um I, I I see um like threads on Twitter that like um that musician uh Scartoon Network puts up where they talk yeah. about Scar and like Scar Punk in like such a such a great way if like if you care about like the idea of subcultures like you can't deny the amazing way that they talk about Scar yeah. and Scar Punk and like you know and like breaking it down to like why it was important before, why it's, why it's important now. And like, even like how, like, I think that they're like really good at like talking about how like Scar not being popular is like grand, but like certain ways that it's looked at, like really is in an, an indictment of like the way that like the punk scene, like quote unquote, whatever that means, but like really mm -hmm. has this, like isn't aware of also it's like racism and things like that. Um, which is obviously a deep dive. Um, yeah, which, no, like I, I, I'm not like, I don't know enough to like go on and talk about. I'd recommend anyone that listens to this to like look up because they talk about scar in such a nuanced, brilliant way that like anyone that likes any subculture, like, you know, anyone that's like a nerd for subculture, like loves hearing about any subculture and like, yeah, yeah. The totally. Brilliant person to listen to about scar punk. I had no idea they were doing like, um, conversations i I've, I've seen the videos but man i'll totally have to look that up and it's 
totally, I mean, everything you just said is spot on that for a long time, like we couldn't even talk about ska because it was something that people just, it was so dismissed and so like not taken seriously. And yeah, I get like, I, I get that it's, <laughs> it's got, it's, it's totally like crass and, and corny and cash grabby. Like it had that whole thing for a while, but like why throw the baby out with the bathwater? Um, I, I think it's like, I don't know. I, I just think it's, it's totally valid. And it's the fact that like, we're still at a point where like, we're not, where like ska is just sort of a punchline and and nobody wants to uh take it seriously i don't know uh i i guess i've just for many years you know i've just gotten super tired of just like oh ska sucks you know for the longest time that's like all you heard and it was just this super like dismissive thing but um i'll have to check that out i'm i'm gonna check that out as soon as we're done this Nice. Um, so, like, Six Foot Smurf was the band that you were in from, like, the age of 12, right? Is that the yeah. one? Right, yeah. Yeah, and that like, was my... Um, you, like, uh, you put on your own shows and stuff, right? Like, I remember going to a hall in, like, Westchester with you, maybe next to, like, the Salvation Army. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, That probably the community centre. And I feel like I remember yeah. you saying, oh, like, we put on a show here and, like, a lot of, like, mixed bills, a lot of, like, young people from Westchester kind of situation. Was that yeah. what it was like back then for you? Yeah, definitely. Um, do, as DIY as it could possibly be, we were, um, again, at 13, 12 and 13, just calling and booking spaces ourselves. And uh, which <laughs> I, I can't imagine how that would be, like, legally sound at all <laughs> but like we were signing documents and handing over money uh amazing as as young children and yeah just doing it ourselves wherever we could um like i said westchester was just big enough that you could you could book a show and at that time you know like ska and punk were just so big among young people like young middle school and high school age people that you could just like put punk and ska on a flyer and um you know incredible a hundred yeah. people would show up yeah so it was we were doing it from from day one really amazing and um uh also um i'd love to um i'd love to just double back a little bit um in that like um when you were talking about yourself being a terror um <laughs> I'd like I've all like you're such an amazing storyteller or I mean I guess it's been a few years since I've heard your stories but about some of these like situations that you found well I wouldn't say you found yourself in you made these situations <laughs> yeah, I, you yeah, made. it would definitely be giving me way too much credit to say <laughs> that like these things happened to me like um, I was a I was a a neutral <laughs> a neutral agent in those situations no I was uh we were actively actively seeking out discord and uh <laughs> and destruction. so cool so let's um just jump i guess like so in maybe 2009 or 10 um yeah. you're like you're like good friends have been like for some bizarre reason asked to tour the uk on like a, eight songs and yeah. you come along with them and have also like got a band with the three members that ends up jumping on like most of the shows. How was that like UK tour as, as how old were you then? 1920 maybe. Um, yeah. Yeah. Was this after college? Yeah. I would have been done college. So yeah, I was probably like 21. 
Yeah, because um, are you older than Pat or are you Pat's age? I am the oldest by a little bit. Um, Pat, they were all a uh, grade below me, so I got about a year on most of them. Uh, yeah, it was Pat's a year older than Mark and Dose, right? Uh, yes, that is correct. Dose is the youngest, um, Mark, middle, and then, yeah, Pat, and then me. Yeah, so um, Spray Nerd, I guess, was like, I feel like... Um, yeah, but talk to me about Sprainerd with, with and you, I guess, because that's yeah. some history that you've got together, right? Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I I had known the first iteration of Sprainerd was a band called the Domino Theory. That uh, I mean, I have I've known Pat since I was probably fourteen, fifteen. He liked my band, Six Foot Smurf, and uh, was starting his own band. And um, yeah, so I grew up with them, and um, and was sort of like the the little roadie guy that came around with the domino theory. Um, and so when Sprainerd happened, it was just, I was just sticking with the crew I had been with for a long time at that point. Um, and that, yeah, it would have been like 2008. Uh, I was in California at the time when they started, uh, I was going to school in California. Um, so I couldn't really be there for the first couple of days, but as soon as I moved back to PA, yeah, I mean, I was, still going to every show and and just hanging out yeah and um with uh yeah so how was how how was it experiencing like a uk tour from like your perspective it was awesome i remember that tour super fondly um it's uh, really Im- impressive i think kind of compared to at the time in 2008 there wasn't much happening in the united states uh just as far as as punk and punk shows go um i i just felt like when we went there it, it seemed like there was something that uh that was a little more robust had a little more steam and uh yeah it was just it was awesome uh the the community was super apparent from day one um you know that it was obviously like a very a close subculture and community that you all had there. And, um, and I was really impressed by that different in some ways, you know, like I think I was initially thrown by the idea that shows were taking place in, in bars, um, as opposed to like, you know, any show in the, in the U S for the most part, any all ages show for a long time, you know, is at like a church, which might sound silly to some people, but, it was at a church or like a, um, a veterans hall yeah. or like a fraternity hall. Uh, we have a, these things called like Moose Lodge and Elks Lodge. So for me, um, I think the first thing that I, that was apparent to me was just that difference that shows were at, at bars, um, which, uh, being a straight edge, uh, warrior at the time, um, I think I was maybe skeptical of, but, and at was immediately, um, just impressed by, by how cool the shows were. And, um, you know, the fact that like the concept sort of says it all that like this band from the U S who had a demo out was able to come to the UK and play an entire string of like what I remember being pretty fucking awesome shows. I think that sort of says it all. That's really like a testament to the, the UK scene because I'll, tell you what that would not be the case here yeah yeah and um were you doing runner-up records at the time or was that when you got home 
No, no, I was doing it at the time, and I remember because I like I didn't oh. bring any clothes. I just brought a suitcase of runner-up stuff. Yes, to sell. tiny, um, tiny hat, cat. <laughs> the tiny hat. Oh, I actually have that silk screen in front of me right now. Um, yeah, yeah, I had been doing runner-up. So to, I, I assume nobody listening knows what runner-up is. Runner-up uh, was a record label that I started uh, after I had worked at Asian Man Records for a while. Um, I wasn't doing that anymore and I still really wanted to um I like the idea of doing a label so I started this record label called Runner Up Records and uh yeah so that was actually like right at the beginning I think I only had two or three releases but I basically brought everything I had with me to sell um and and so I do definitely remember that I was doing Runner Up at the time yeah yeah maybe um maybe a high tide 7 inch maybe higher giant maybe yeah yeah some of the the early releases for sure dave house um uh and the shook ones so so the big thing that kind of made the label a thing was uh the second release i did which was uh the shook ones end of a year split end of a year is now called self-defense family um but it was a split with that band and uh and shook ones so that sort of um sort of catapulted things for me yeah yeah how did that come about um how did that come about when okay so asian man i think sort of just kind of plugged me into maybe some bands oh in a new way uh but the way that sort of came about i was going to school in california i took a term off um to move back home which was a totally it's a classic stupid thing that people do but I took a term off to come back home. And during that time I was living at my mom's house. I had been booking shows at my mom's house prior to leaving to college in California. Um, and shook ones were going on tour and I just emailed them and I said, I do shows at my mom's house. Uh, do you want to play in this little tiny suburb that nobody cares about? And they were, they said, hell yes, which that's the best thing about like uh, just punk is so cool. I love that. You know, like I just emailed, you just have to ask in punk. Sometimes all you have to do is ask. And all I did was ask. And they said, yeah, that sounds great. It ended up being a crazy show. It was a basically a revelation records showcase where at that time there were all these new bands signing to revelation records, um, capital end of the year shook ones among them. And they all played my house again in the town of Malvern. Like anybody gives a shit. And, uh, it was amazing and it went really well. And so, I don't know, they stayed overnight. We we became good friends. And, uh, as soon as I moved back to California and got my own label started, I got back in touch with them and they said, hell yeah, let's do it. Amazing. So you moved to California and I'm sure you're like, Oh, wouldn't it be so cool if like, um, I'm like moving to like close to like Asian man, maybe my (laughs) favorite record label. And then you like, how did you spark up a relationship with it was again just asking and like why not just ask if i can help out kind of thing just ask just ask it's so cool it's and i realized that early on like when i was a kid i i picked up on that that like in punk you can just say hey i like this thing you're doing and people will be like okay yeah come come join and that's basically how it worked out so now we're i apologize to any listeners who are trying to piece this uh narrative together but now we're going backwards (laughs) a little bit uh, this is like 2006. I move out to California, uh, the East Bay area in California. 
I didn't have much going on. Um, and I had, uh, I had gone to Mike. He, uh, he did a living room tour here in like 2004, I think. And, um, I want to say we met briefly there, but I went to that show and when I got out there, I, yeah, I just called and I, and I said, Hey, I'm, I don't have many friends. I don't have, and by many, I have zero friends. <laughs> um, and, uh, just looking for something to do. I love your label. And he said, come on down. And that was it. And if you know, Mike, that's, that's what he does. He, he looks out like that. Okay, cool. I've, I've never actually, um, I've never met the guy, but, um, yeah, it just was, yeah, that's all it was. And he's, um, he's incredibly, uh, oh, he's just a, an amazing person. And yeah, so going there was like as much like a Willy Wonka experience as you can imagine. It was because for Asian man, when Asian man sent out releases, uh, Mike would usually include these like little folded up pamphlets that just kind of talked about like the label and what the label was. And it said, I'm in a garage. It this seems like a big label, but it's not. It's just me in my mom's garage. And so growing up, I kind of like, you know, I built this like little image yeah. of what that looks like. And just, I came to kind of identify with this garage and um, it was just, yeah, another, another like magical moment just pulling up and, uh, and seeing the garage and uh, getting to know Mike. Yeah. Was it, was it um, like how, how was working with like Asian man records? Uh, amazing. Um, yeah. And it wasn't much like I wasn't, you know, I was just a, a lowly intern, um, but it was a, a super transformative experience. Um, it was a big year for Asian man. So I assume a lot of people listening to this, might I identify with these bands? It was a big year. Uh, Bomb the music industry came on. Um, Andrew Jackson Jihad came on. Lemuria came on that year. Um, it was the first like big turnaround year, I think, for Mike after a long time where like the music industry was non-existent and in really bad shape. Yeah, I mean, you'd be able to tell me your opinion on my opinion but like i find it interesting especially like with you as someone that like loves the culture of like everything asian man does with like scar and like fully invested in what scar is and means i guess and but also like asian man is not or was not just a scar record label obviously it does a lot more but like i feel like what you're talking about with those bands like that year that was like the that was the like second that was like the re-evolution of Asian man. I is how I see it, where it went from like, it could have been a legacy record label. Right. Um, but it was like, but then it started putting out bands that like, like totally current and totally like what the culture was like, what was pushing the culture forward, like, like nationally, these yeah. bands, but also like, Asian man was able to like not tap into it in a business sense, but like that w- w- was part of that. And I think it was as like amazing to see like Asian man, like doing something new because and not like, not for like any kind of like, Oh, well our brand needs to evolve, but like, yeah, of yeah. course we like, we like music and there's this amazing music, but so it's like that's evolving whilst being part of something new, which was like, a scene that was like totally growing as well. 
Absolutely. And yeah, it's like Mike has just done his own thing from the start. And I think at some points that thing has been kind of in the zeitgeist and naturally successful. And other times it wasn't. But he's always just kind of maintained, I think, like just putting out music that he likes and and with politics that, um, you know, that are, are uh, important to him and a lot of us. And yeah, he just kept doing that. And then it just so happened that in 2006, 2007, um, yeah, he totally, it was a total like uh, reignition for Asian man, because I think um, the bands that he brought on just happened to be bands that people got uh, really excited about. And um, yeah, that's really, I think like the story of that label is just like, he's always just done, done his own thing. And um and it's it's worked out really well. I think that's the reason Asian Man still exists today because like you said, he's not, it's the one label where it's like, it's not somebody trying to manage like a brand and a, a business. He, Mike is famous, I think, for not doing any of that. And, uh, and it, it has worked out tremendously. And I think it's kind of like a lesson to all of us that, you know, um, letting go in that way and just doing something because you like doing it. That's yeah. Being authentic. Yeah. Just being authentic and, and doing your own thing. That's sort of the, the it's not a guaranteed ticket to success, obviously, but like it's certainly means that you'll be true to yourself. And, uh, and it means that you'll, I I just think you're going to be more likely to, to have something that lasts. Yeah. And understanding what, success is i guess like not that i know like asian man but like yeah under when you're not doing something that is like thought out in a business kind of way then like you can it's your your successes are seen in different ways aren't they yeah yeah absolutely i mean i this is this is like all i'm thinking about i think lately is is what success is i think that's probably <laughs> that's the truth. That's a question that I think any uh, person pursuing art <laughs> will grapple with as they, as they get older. But I'm certainly at a point now where I spend a lot of my time just thinking about like how I define success for myself. Yeah. Um, after having, <laughs> having tried and failed to, to achieve, um, kind of like the traditional idea of success. I, I'm I'm now sort of, I, I'm just, I guess, redefining what it means to be successful for me. And um, sort of going back to what I just said, it, it just means um, making the thing that uh, is most, is the closest to the thing I want to make. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> just making the thing that's most like what I want to make. And uh and it's a beautiful thing when that thing that you make is something that other people want to enjoy. But if you, I'm finding that if I take that approach and it doesn't work out that way, I it's, I'm still successful because I've made the thing. I've made yeah. something that I like and that I, I is motivated only by, um, kind of what is, um, what resonates with me. Definitely. That's the way I try. That's the way I approach like creative outlets in my life is what is this giving me when I'm making it? And when like, 
when I'm yeah when I'm making this like creative mm-hmm. kind of thing and then if that's an if that's enjoyable then like brilliant like carry on doing it and everything else is a plus yeah yeah um, exactly and uh, it kind of has to be that way because you know it's uh, well I mean I guess it doesn't have to everybody's can pursue whatever kind of success they want but when you're trying, I've found, and I found this trying to run a record label. And this was really, I think a a big learning experience for me was that it trying to navigate and play to like other people's preferences and expectations is, is an incredibly tiring way to live. Um, it's how you achieve financial success in a lot of cases like in a music industry but it uh it, it's not pleasant <laughs> for me at least yeah yeah and then that, that like when you're saying like um doing something that you've like always wanted to do that reminds me like i remember when i would like so what 10 years ago maybe when um we were both at my parents house before you moved in my parents house being the house in westchester not my not your parents. literal parents' house. Um, I love that. Like that still, still needs like it, the joke <laughs> has endured so long. Yes, yeah. I'm sorry. Go on. Um, and you just being like psyched on like right, I want to do this band, and it's gonna be like the B fifty twos. And oh, did I say it back then? That's yeah, sick. That's yeah. Cool. And now um, you've you have the Synergy Corp, which like my when I listen to it, I'm like, this is like B fifty twos kind of like Devo, but like not that it's literally that thing, but like I put it in that world of like that space of like, Oh, that's, that's what I'm going for. Yeah. Yeah. So how is Synergy Corp? Tell us about it, please. Yeah. Thanks. That's well, first of all, that's very cool that, uh, I didn't, I guess I didn't realize that the idea had been in my head for that long, but that's, um, damn. If I said that to you at my parents' house, uh, wow, that, I guess that idea was kind of sitting in my head for a long time, longer than I thought. Um, (laughs) Yeah, no, it's it's great. I mean, this kind of it, it comes back to everything I'm talking about. Uh which at the end of the day, the way I'm approaching this band for the this is the first band where I'm approaching and I'm trying to be intentionally vulnerable in 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 doing this band. By that I mean I'm being I'm trying to be completely honest about what I like and what speaks to me. I, you know, and that's, this is what's coming out. And it's this, yeah, it's this like, um, sort of, uh, loungy B 52 surfy Scott tinged kind of thing. And it's just, yeah, it's awesome because it's like the first band that I've ever played in, honestly, where I'm, it's a band that I really like, you know? Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how, often it's the case for people that they're, that they really like the band they're in. It's probably more often than I'm guessing. But for me, I just kind of took stock of like all the bands I'd been in. And it's not to say I didn't like them. It's just that like, it wasn't the band that I would, I would play in if I were really designing the thing from scratch. And so I just, yeah, I kind of like stopped what I was doing and I just sort of thought about what is it that I love? Like, I love the Aquabats. And the reason I haven't started a band that sounds like the Aquabats is because like, it's not cool. It's not cool at all. It's something people make fun of. And it's like, I think for a long time that 
that sort of intimidated me. And I'm just at a point in my life now where I'm like, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I'm going to be in a band that sounds like the Aquabats and because that's what I want to do. Definitely. And that really resonates with me, not to hijack your no. uh, conversation, but like, you know, I've sent through this record that I made uh, last year and this consolation record. And like that to me is the record I've wanted to make since the first time I heard the bands that made me want to do a band and like yeah. when I was 15 years old and like, you know, I was in a band for five years that like I really enjoyed. Um, but like there was always a part of me that was like, this isn't truly what I want to make and what I want to put myself out publicly as, and obviously yeah. people get to choose how much of, you know, a lot of people like to wrap up their person, like their, their, public persona with their like bands and stuff but like and some people project on you the band that you're in or whatnot but like it's been so amazing to be fortunate enough to have to have three people in my life that want to do a band and the stuff that we sound is like how I want it to sound amazing not to take away from the other stuff that I've done it's it's more a testament to when you know you like know yeah yeah absolutely and you know it takes a long i i think it just takes a long time to get there and i think the thing that you said that connected with me is like you kind of took stock of what got you into this in the first place you know when you were 15 and it's not like what band to me i'm thinking about this like it's not what bands i got into but like what was it about yeah what I was seeing, like, what are the qualities that I was drawn to when I like started getting into punk and ska and subculture? And when I thought about it, I was like, okay, I like that. Like it was fun. You know, I like that it was silly and this isn't going to be the case for everybody, but I'm just saying this is what connected with me, you know, is that like, I liked bands that were silly. I liked, um, stuff that was fun. I liked, um, you know, uh, weird and spacey. Yeah. And when I like kind of having like stepped back from bands for a couple of years and like given myself time to like think about that, it just was, ah, oh, it's fucking awesome. And now it's like when I'm writing these songs, I'm just like, yes, yes, yes. I just I could do it all day, you know, because it's like, I feel like I'm, I'm just finally like being honest with that for a long time. I was playing in bands. I think my objective going into bands was to maybe um, posture a little bit more and just look cool. And, uh, if I'm being honest with myself, that's probably what it, what was motivating me in a lot of ways. And, um, I, that's why it wasn't working out. Yeah. Which is interesting because, um, like when I think of Sprainerd, especially like when we're talking about the like era of Sprainerd that we were like talking about earlier, it was, I think that the reason why that really connected with people like, a lot of our friends in a way that was like more than just like, just more than like most bands I've ever like known the way it like connected. But like yeah. that I think was because it was a true authentic, like this is I'm doing this for like, do you know, do you know what I mean? That thing. So it's like interesting that like you being a part of that as well was like maybe seeking certain things but like in a different, I don't know. I guess I'm like getting to the end of this sentence and realizing that there's not a conclusion <laughs> to it. Hey, but, they don't uh, have, they don't have to. That's okay. Well, um, um, yeah. And 
uh, also to um, double back, like it's also like amazing that you're do you're doing this and this is like exactly how you want it to be. But like, and you're saying it's like vulnerable where like, I think a lot of people can hide behind. Well, well, for, I guess first of my, I, I, I perceive Synergy Corp as somewhat of a concept. Out, like as a band and what it what it's saying and i might be totally wrong but no like, no you're that ideally that's what it is yeah yeah and like to move with that is like interesting because like a lot of people i think hide behind concepts like you know uh-huh. how can i write a record but i'm like don't want to scratch certain parts of myself so i'm gonna like write the record in someone else's mind but like it's like completely not like that from your situation Oh yeah, that's interesting. I guess I never thought that that's how, yeah, some people can use, um, yeah, sort sort of concepts or, or maybe even gimmicks if you will. But, uh, yeah, no, I, first of all, I would love for this to be more conceptual than it is. I'm, I'm super limited by time. Um, so I, I deal, that's why I'm saying ideally it would be sort of like a more conceptual thing, um, with like video content and everything. I don't have time. Um, so right now it's still just mostly writing songs, but yeah. Um, what is uh, Synergy Corp for everyone? Because I guess there's not anything online yet and stuff, right? Uh, no, so far all I've set up is an Instagram, which <laughs> this is this sort of brings up the other big thing uh, with this band is that I don't know how to be in a band anymore. <laughs> like <laughs> I've I've taken, I you know, I only took like, maybe three or four years off from actively playing in bands and and booking shows, but Jesus in like, it might as well have been uh, 50 years um, in terms of like how the whole thing has like developed, you know, and like what it means to promote a band and be in a band. I don't know how any of this stuff worked. Um, So for the time being, I just have an Instagram. It's a, it's synergy corp Inc. um, All one word. And, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm finding myself just frustrated that, um, you know, I, I'm not as in the loop with like, you know, just how this stuff works, like how, how social media works. I like, I know how social media works. I know how it, what it is. Yeah. Um, but I don't know how to, um, I just don't know how you're supposed to promote a band. Last time I was doing it, it was, uh, it was, I think a little more straightforward than it is now. Yeah. Yeah. What's the idea behind Synergy Corp as the concept? Yeah, so it's sort of um, it, it's a combination of of all the things I mentioned that I love. Um, but it's really, uh, I guess if I had to to lay it out, it's sort of this ambiguous. You can't really tell if it's a cult or if it's a uh, a small um, privately held company. It's it's so it's got elements of of both. Um, and it's really like, it's all about my obsession with, um, with like nineties business culture that I kind of grew up, um, around with like my mom being in the corporate world. And it's, it's sort of my obsession with like that, that world and that terminology and, uh, that aesthetic, um, combined with like my love of, um, of, 60s aesthetic and like surf rock so it's a combination of a couple things but really it's somewhere um in in between all of these i think you might have seen i i talked about this on my instagram the other day but like i love love 
this thing that happened in the late nineties where people, um, in punk, but really just kind of like any Gen X artists were, um, were using like sixties, uh, retro aesthetic, um, and updating it into like a nineties, uh, context. (laughs) And it's such a specific thing, but I love it. And that's completely what is driving synergy corp. (laughs) Have you managed to find, um, some suitable employees to, play these songs live oh hell yeah i have yes uh i'm very very lucky um that uh i've we've got um philadelphia artist perry shaw um or perry shaw he's gonna kill me for saying perry shaw um <laughs> and uh yeah an incredibly talented philadelphia artist um playing guitar gabby eisenhower of marge fame and Melissa Brain of Marge fame, uh, playing synthesizer and drums respectively. So it's people who I've, um, been friends with for a long time and it's actually, it's super beautiful that they're, uh, they're coming along this ride for me. Um, they're all super busy people with other commitments and, um, I think they're having fun with it. And Perry especially has become a, a close collaborator and it's been amazing. um, Yeah, it's, you know, for a long time, I was trying to like write in isolation. Um, and I just was not getting anywhere with it and, uh, I'm getting better at it, but I, you know, I'm just coming to the realization that I, I really need some kind of like back and forth collaboration with somebody. I don't, I don't know how people like write entire records, just 100% on their own. To me, that is like, that's witchcraft. It's insane. (laughs) yeah but i feel like that's also like what this conversation is about is how you thrive with other people so maybe that's just like a a personality trait um oh yeah absolutely i'm i'm extrovert to the max beyond extrovert and uh and yeah i really thrive like you said just um just working with other people and it's it's not it's not just that I like thrive working with other people, but I just get way too into my own head when uh when I'm trying to write myself. I, I have a really bad perfectionist tendency, and not like a good kind, like not at all the good kind of perfectionism. If there is a good kind, <laughs> I'd argue that there maybe isn't. But it's this totally like stifling, um, and again, it's it's like anti vulnerable. That's kind of like how I think about it. It's this yeah. like. It's it's coming from a, a sort of cynical place in me um, where I just can't get past a stupid, you know, part in a song that nobody would ever notice if it was this other way. And it's just I, I just get into my own head and, I, and you know, hours will go by and I'll have nothing to show for it, basically. Um, yeah. When I, when I try to work by myself, I listened to a podcast Rick Rubin does and he was talking to Andre 3000. And it was like so heartbreaking that like that's kind of like Andre 3000 was saying like, you know, I just can't release music because I'm too much of a like I'm he I guess he doesn't like that vulnerability that like he's too much of a perfectionist. And it's like so sad that there's just so many amazing creative people in this world that like and we're like and like they aren't able to. There's just that. <laughs> yeah thing just yeah they're they're stifled by that it's not good it's and i think a lot of people experience that and 
I really have to like check that habit with myself. It's a really bad habit. And I've, I'm just, I'm always so impressed and I'm motivated by people I know, by friends that I have who are artists who they make something, they feel pretty good about it and they put it out there. I think that's the coolest shit. And I'm trying to get to that place where it's like, I, I can just write something, I get an idea, I, I commit to it and then I move forward. Um, it's just, it's been very hard for me to get to that place. But again, it's, it's, that's part of being vulnerable is like this thing isn't, might not be a hundred percent perfect, but you know what? We're, we're moving on. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you're also playing in wildflowers of America, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that is, um, Perry Shaw's other project that, so whereas synergy corp is, yeah, probably primarily my project, uh, wildflowers is Perry's and, um, Whereas Synergy Corp is sort of in the Devo and Oingo Boingo school, Wildflowers is um, very much in like the power pop, Elvis Costello, um, and the attractions kind of school. And uh, it's really fun. It's it's actually sort of reminiscent of my ska band days in that there's like seven people in this band. And <laughs> um, it's, which I realize now, like, it, that was much more logistically feasible in middle school when you have no commitments. And <laughs> as adults, that is not a practical approach at all. But it makes for a, a really uh, fun band to be in. And uh, yeah, so I mean, if if you're into like um, that big kind of like 70s, 80s power pop sound like Cheap Trick, that's what it kind of reminds me of at least. Then uh, yeah, then become a wildflower <laughs> amazing what, what are you playing in i'm playing organ in wildflowers and i'm i'm singing um I, i'm playing organ in that band and then synergy corp i'm playing uh synthesizers and and singing so which again it, it's something i've always wanted to do is just um play keyboards and bands and i i did that as a kid in six foot smurf and um i'm, I'm psyched to be doing it again Amazing. Amazing. Um, and I guess, um, we'll, uh, start to wrap up, but like, so your, yeah. your child Desmond, mm-hmm. um, as soon as I heard that name, I was like, Desmond, <laughs> Desmond Decker. That's, it's like, I was like, is that it? Is it Desmond Decker? Are people it, always like that name? I've not met anyone under the age of 70 with that name for a while. It's a hundred percent named after Desmond Decker. <laughs> and that's, it's it's so on the nose. I know, especially every, given everything we've just talked about, my love for ska is apparent. Uh, but the reality of it is that um, my wife is Jamaican and um, is is very um, you know adamant, understandably, about uh, making Desmond aware of his Jamaican heritage. Yeah, and uh, and so it was important to her to have a name that was typically Jamaican or is at least associated with a famous Jamaican. And I said, no problem. I got just the name for you. <laughs> and, uh, and we agreed on Desmond very early. So yeah, it's, it's funny. Cause when people, when people get it, they get it right away. And they're, um, they're excited. When we go to Jamaica, people pick up on it. You know, Desmond Decker's like still, I think a cultural icon there in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, over here, people think about the uh, the guy from Lost. Oh, okay. I thought the other one would be Desmond Tutu that people come to. Uh, some people go for Desmond Tutu, <laughs> but more often than not, of course, like being the US, it's like, yeah, people just go for the TV show, <laughs> the yeah. TV show character rather than the uh, the political activist. Um, but it's okay because that was actually my favorite character on Lost anyway. 
Yeah, I mean, and it's got a better ring to it than shouting, Prince Buster Morris, get down here right now. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Um, yeah, there's there's lots of ways that could have gone, but uh, no, Desmond seemed, seemed classy, and uh, it, it definitely um, scratched an itch for me, obviously, and, uh, and Jess got her uh, Jamaican name. Incredible, incredible. Um, I think that's the perfect place to... Um to wrap up uh really amazing i'm gonna yeah. uh thank you so much for dude thank you for having me i just want to say i think it's awesome that you're doing this and you're being vulnerable and you're showing up by by doing a podcast show so good for you i'm psyched for you thank you for having me on i appreciate that hey thank you for listening i hope that you enjoyed that conversation as much as i did this song is called palm strings it's by the synergy corp i hope you become a worker for them asap enjoy